Thank you for listening to this lunchtime talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, the Art Gallery's Associate Curator of Prints, Drawings and Photographs, Maria Zagala, introduces Ian North's recent series of photographs of the Flurio Peninsula. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to this lunchtime talk. Uh, my name's Maria Zagala. I'm the Associate Curator of Prints, Drawings and Photographs. And it's my great pleasure to welcome you for this lunchtime talk, which is part of the Sala Festival. And we are uh, speaking today um, about the work of Ian North and his series Flurio, which is in the vestibule here. Now, I'm really pleased that Ian North has joined us today and he is up here with me and um, has agreed to have a conversation with me um, about this beautiful series. We meet here um, in the vestibule, uh, which is not a terrific space for speaking, but it is a terrific space for showing Ian's work. It was really excellent um, seeing Ian developing this series and um, in his studio, and I wondered how the works would look here on the walls. And it was a very special moment uh, when we brought them in and uh, hung them, and in fact, they look like they were made for the space. So, I wanted to start off today by just uh, saying that Ian and I have been working very closely together for almost a year, actually, towards a book on him. And uh, the book will be published before the end of the year. So we are really in the final stages of designing it at the moment. And the book covers Ian's work as an artist, his work as a curator, here at the, um, the gallery from 1971 to 1980, and his work as a curator at the National Gallery of Australia, where he was curator of photography from 1980 to 1984, and his work as a writer. And it will be republishing four of Ian's key essays. So this publication will be over 200 pages and will illustrate um, over a hundred plates of Ian's work, right from his first painting when he was 14, I think, of uh, Auckland Harbour, through to um, this later series of photographs, Flurio. So I look forward to having that book in our bookshop and I hope that you will find it and enjoy it too. It, because we've been working so closely together for this past year, it's been my great um, honour to go into Ian's studio, sometimes weekly, to progress our work on the book. And during that time, I've got to know Ian's, Ian well and got to know his practice well. I say that as a preface because Ian and I were joking that when it came time to talk about this series of works, <laughs> we found we had very little to say. <laughs> so <laughs> what can we say about these works? There are 10 of them. I'll state some facts perhaps to begin. Um, they are type C photographs. 
they uh, were taken by Ian on film using a panoramic camera. He took hundreds of photographs of the Flurio Peninsula and he selected this, these 10. He took the photographs between 2008 and 2015. And when he made his final selection of 10, he worked very closely with his uh, printer, Sandy Barnard in Sydney, on printing an edition of one. And that process of printing was extremely long and uh, complex. And I think you'll agree that there is something about these works, something about the quality of light, the quality of the printing that is magical or exceptional. And on that topic of light, when we were preparing our Sala exhibitions this year, we engaged uh, a filmmaker and artist, Peter Drew, to make short films about the three artists who are exhibiting at the Gallery for Sala. And Peter came to Ian's studio and we met there and he made a short 30-second film, which you can see in the atrium. And in that film, Peter has edited down from a half an hour in the studio with Ian to really the heart of Ian's practice. And that goes to Ian's discovery of the work of the British painter Turner at the age of 12 in his local public library in Lower Hutt, Wellington, New Zealand. And Ian describes in this short film the discovery of Turner really opened up a whole new world for him. I think you describe it as a portal into a new appreciation of light and nature. So I guess we, we might start our looking at these works and thinking about these works through this subject of light and through this connection between Ian as a photographer working here in 2015, 20, 2008 to 2015 on these photographs, yet somehow the presence of Turner is here too. Um, I, Ian, I wonder if you might just share with us something of what it was about Turner that uh, sparked your imagination? Well, he seemed to revel in light and a sense of radiance, which was quite contrary to the ordinary football-oriented nature of um, my upbringing. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the first oil painting, because it features a rainbow, imaginary rainbow, over Auckland Harbour, which is badly positioned, in fact. Um, it, it, um, 
It showed the rainbow between the sensible viewer and the, and the, and the sunlight, whereas the rainbow, in fact, would be the other side of the viewer. So I started off an error. <laughs> in fact, I, uh, my whole life has been an error. <laughs> um, art ruined my life. It, it forced me to move away from a profession which I loved, museum profession, and um, to make art myself was a nagging itch that I couldn't suppress over a long period of time. For much of my career, I photographed in secret to avoid conflict of interest with the museum work I was involved in. But um, what else to say there? Well, I guess, Ian, I might um, give some background for people that, um, as I mentioned, Ian had had a very successful career as a museum professional, as a curator, and we see, you know, the benefits of that um, as those of us who are associated with the gallery here through his remarkable acquisitions, including the Donald Judd sculpture near the restaurant. Um, and Ian's uh, acquisitions uh, included Richard Long's circle, for example, mm. and of stones, which some of you may know, and, uh, and other major works, conceptual works, works that were really different to uh, what the gallery had collected before he started in 1971. However, as he mentioned, Ian was photographing uh, in secret and he was photographing the uh, suburbs of Adelaide and he was travelling by car to the Flurio and photographing the Flurio. And I have just brought along a couple of um, printouts of the works that Ian created at that time. They're fascinating, to actually, because... They were made between 1973 and 1978. I might pass some around. And they are very different to the works that we see here that you've made in this series. So firstly, of course, they're black and white. They're small gelatin silver prints. And they are very minimal very stark, almost um, some find it um, poetic, others find it somehow aggressively ugly. So the works actually divide people in terms of their um, appeal. However, my experience of being in this space and talking to people responding to this work is that your relationship to beauty is very different in these works than you could say in the more reticent eye of the Flurio works that appeared in his Felicia portfolio. Well, I feel that the work you're handing around have overtoned some of them of what became known as the new topographics movement in America ushered into being by William Jenkins of George Eastman House in Rochester, whereby 
the, 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 the views depicted can seem banal and pointless. And it's, it's hiding a, it's the art that conceals art. It's, it's, um, remember reminiscent of John Tchaikovsky's quite famous binary um, description of the, the vast and torturous field of photography. He divided the, for argument's sake, the field into windows or mirrors. Windows where you imagine just looking at the reality beyond the viewer. Mirrors as reflecting the values and vision of the photographer. And most photographs are a mixture of both, to put it in crude terms. Um, the work I did in Adelaide, collected, as Maria said, in the Felicia portfolio, gave way to the Canberra suite, which I took in Canberra, obviously, um, avoiding the blood and guts of politics. You'll be pleased to know. Um, several of these Canberra Street works are displayed at the moment, I think, down in the Australian art section. Again, um, the few people I showed them to didn't get, it, get them. And I was very excited to notice the work of Robert Adams coming into the library here um, in the late 70s before, because it seemed to have um, an association with what I was trying to do, which is both um, encouraging and causes one to feel a certain chagrin. Um, Can I just ask you, Ian, you mentioned that you were working in the 70s when you were creating these works that we know as the Felicia portfolio in this um, new topographics mode and that you were you noticed the work of Robert Adams, for example, the American photographer, uh, and I, I think Stephen Shaw was another photographer. Yes. Um, did you know of their work um, in the 70s when you were working, creating your Canberra suite, for example? I knew about them by the time I came to the Canberra suite, but I didn't know them when I was doing this black and white work collected in the Felicia portfolio. Mm. So it was a process of discovery. It's quite intriguing because when you see the um, work of Adams and Shaw, the echoes to, all, to Ian's work is very strong. So in fact, at that time in the 70s when you were taking these works of the Fleurio, you were very much part of a movement in um, an international photography movement. Yes, I just didn't know it. No. <laughs> I'm hoping that this book is going to place you within that tradition more consciously, if you like. Hmm. But the 80s, uh, the Canberra Suite was executed 1980 to 81, and in colour, by the way, in medium format, I gave up 35 mil pretty much, and colour, uh, uh, sorry, gave up black and white in 1979, because the world is in colour and it's a matter of accepting it. Acceptance is a keynote to new topographics. Um, accepting the banality of architecture, but not directly aiming to critique it, more to um, accept the world as being beautiful, even in its ugly aspects, 
because the world is unified by light. Um, having said that, I felt I was starting to repeat myself in 1981, well, at the end of 81, and um, after several years of curating at the National Gallery, very busy years, decided to make a break for it. I had come to a point in my career where I either had to, felt I had to apply to be a director of a reasonable sized gallery or make a break for it and make a run for it, if you like, to become an artist openly. And I decided the latter inevitably. Um, I might just mention that Ian, when he made a break for it, made a run, and um, uh, his escape was to America and he received a Fulbright uh, travel scholarship and uh, was accepted at the University of New Mexico uh, in um, Albuquerque, where, which was renowned actually for its photography program. And he studied there intensively in over a number of years, completing an MA, an MFA, and then that was it, wasn't it? Yeah, the MA and MFA. And that included an exhibition, a body of work, and a dissertation. And the dissertation is a kind of PhD level dissertation. And Ian's topic was uh, on postmodernism. So I just mentioned that because Ian's work during that time in Albuquerque was um, a process for him of taking his images apart and putting them back together again through a very um, rigorous theoretical engagement with theory. And uh, I guess it's important to know that when looking at these works because for me there is this residue of your engagement with theory in these works, but it is not explicit like it was certainly in the late 80s and early 90s with your um, practice. As you say, I took my work apart and put it back together again using collage and paint, painting on colour photographs, which is very unusual. Hand colouring photographs is old as the hills but not painting thickly on colour photographs. Um, again, that, that process of exploring the gaze, of finding parallels in panoramic formats with the eye of the explorer, the settler, the colonialist, um, was kept me going for about 10 years. And, um, Again, it, it petered out inevitably and I started to look around for next direction and that proved to be for a long time just taking photographs for the sheer pleasure of taking photographs which had been lost at Albuquerque. Albuquerque in other ways was a wonderful play playground for me because it was in the days before computers and instant communication, so you could virtually hide there. And you're only as good as the work you did on the day. So it was a perfect place for me to transition from, from a museum work to academia. Um, by the way, little did I know when I first walked through these doors in 1971 that I'd be showing here and talking to an audience <laughs> nearly 50 years on. 
<laughs> it's, it's astonishing to me. Um, never give up is the motto. <laughs> well, um, Ian, we say that you made the escape by going to Albuquerque uh, out of the museum profession, but um, Ian didn't just devote himself to a studio practice at that point. In fact, he was appointed the head of the South Australian School of Art and worked there uh, intensively as um, the head of the South Australian School of Art until 93, I think it was, mm. and then continued his association with the school into the 2000s. So, in fact, you've created your work and worked as an artist alongside this incredibly rich and busy career and that time at Sasa included, for example, establishing a professionally run university art space, art museum, which is now the Samstag. Uh, it included also um, working towards um, refining the details of the Samstag scholarships, um, travel scholarships, so really major things. It included moving the art school from its Underdale campus into the city and uh, all through that time that the art school became part of the University of South Australia. So, you know, when I imagine Ian escaping the very busy world of the museum for his art practice, in fact, um, you've always been busy and always eked out, I guess, your time in the studio at night yeah. and on weekends, it seems. Yeah. Mm. That's true. I remember... Um, I set up a colour darkroom in the Saw Studios, South Australian Workshop Studios in Rutland Place. I remember the loneliness of going there on Friday night, no one else around, for hour after hour of printing in colour a Canberra suite. Um, I did all my own printing in black and white and colour up till about 2006, I think it was. Um, I taught myself both fine black and white printing and very carefully calibrated colour printing. It would take me a day normally to do one colour print, which was satisfactory. But um, as I think it was Sir Joshua Reynolds who said, he who is taught by himself is taught by a fool. <laughs> so the process was long and arduous. And uh, since come to work with a technician I found who I can communicate with extraordinarily well. It's a rare situation and I'm very grateful to her for her collaboration. Ian, can I ask you, why is it important to you that you work with film, that you shoot your, your photographs yes, on yes. film? I should preface my reply by saying that this exhibition is entirely analogue. The film, the darkroom processes, all analogue, so it's as rare as a unicorn. <laughs> yeah. You can't get it done hardly anywhere. Um, why I like film? Because the colour seems to embed itself in the medium of the paper, whereas inkjet prints from, from um, digital files deposits thousands of little tiny flecks of pigmented ink on paper, it's sitting on top of the paper, and it just feels a little bit different. It's subtle, but it's there. 
And um, I've always liked type C as a medium. It's been bedeviled by its fugitive nature in the earlier days, but it's much better now. And um, it's a beautiful medium. I have to say, for those of us who have experience of looking at photographs and inkjet prints, these do these prints have something special about them. Mm. So a material quality that um, is, as you say, the, the, the colour is in the paper and seems to radiate out. And perhaps this is um, one thing that we can say about these works. There's something about the quality of the light that you've captured, but also the way that the colour is working here in these, mm. in these prints that is what the works are about on some level. I'll come clean. I hate digital cameras, <laughs> apart from the one on my phone, of course. Um, film cameras are much easier to use. All you need to do is thoroughly internalise the relationship between aperture, f-stop and depth of field, and your home and host. I'm, I'm exaggerating, of course. There's a plethora of darkroom techniques and options. As I said before, photography is a can of worms. I didn't say that, but I should have. I could have said it. Mm. Um, it's very complicated in its histories, and I use the plural advisedly. But um, if you understand the relationship between those three factors, f-stop, shutter speed, and depth of field, you can operate very quickly. And it's important to me that I respond, be able to respond quickly, even using medium format cameras. Um, so you don't have a tripod? No. I, yeah. I, own, I own one, but it stays in the studio. Mm. So but you're uh, driving around? Yes. You're stopping often? Yes. And these look like back roads to me? Yes, that's mm. right. Mm. Now, yeah. one of the, the games that I've found is that people want to know where these photos were taken. They're obsessed with identifying the exact view, the exact road. They've seen it. They're sure they've seen it. And it, it's maddening to them that they're not 100% sure. Mm. Yes, well, it's just... In a way, the one you said is your favourite down the other end of the, of the hall. There's a picture of no place. No place. Um, it, but on the other hand, I don't despise people for wanting to know where a motif is located. It shows a respect for the motif and a respect for representation. Um, after working in a deconstructive mode, to use a simplistic term, um, it seemed very desirable to me, emerging from years of just taking photographs, because I wanted to take photographs without any thought of exhibition in mind. Um, seemed important to me to... I'm not sure what I was going to say. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, something seemed important. Hmm. They seem important. I was thinking they have an aspect of summary in them that it's very compressed. Your thinking, your looking, your selection, that it's the opposite of of 
general. There's something specific, a specificity to these works. Yes. And an authority, I have to say. They feel authoritative and it's something about the way that the land is pictured. It's also something to do with your insistence on composition, that there is so much care taken in uh, the composition in these works. You notice that the horizon line is at three-quarter height, generally, mm. that, the, uh, that there are roads and uh, ways into this uh, landscape that recalls to me the compositional devices of European 18th century painting, landscape painting, mm. Is that something that you were knowingly playing with when you were making these works? Not knowingly, more a thought to conjure with in retrospect. But I spent a lot of my teens looking at art books after discovering Turner, and worked through the shelves of two public libraries, uh, drawing sketches after the compositions of, of the old masters through to impressionists, post-impressionists, cubists, surrealists. So my head is somehow deeply infected, if you like, by thousands of images. And um, I, I don't know when they're going to come out or how they're going to come out, but um, it doesn't surprise me to hear people say they're influenced by such a source. The landscape feels vast and ancient, and mm. so you've managed to capture this kind of quality of it, it must have something to do with the vantage point at which you have have taken the photographs. Yes, well, it's um, as seen, basically, and I don't crop the works I select. Generally, they're not cropped. Um, they're just as seen. Mm. And um, it, it presents as a total gestalt. Um, the universe tells me what to photograph. So I slam on the brakes and take a photograph. Well, I st I, if you find the wall text to this display, I, I start the wall text with a quote from Ian and in which he says, I basically am inclined to agree with Mark Rothko's statement, art is ecstatic or it is nothing. And... I think about that here because, like you described, that instinct to slam on the brakes to get the shot. Mm. You know, these works have this quality of the ecstatic to me. So, but it's not mawkish or over the top. I guess this is kind of part, one of the characteristics of your eye and your art. It's sort of treads a very fine line between this um, love or appreciation for the sublime and then this attention to the everyday, the, the lamp post, the fence post, just the... Reality. So <laughs> I was returning to reality in a sense with respect to the motif and the process after the deconstructive work. So in a way you could say I've gone full circle, except that this is different from the Canberra Suite, obviously. Um, 
to take as an example. It's, um, I've let my hair down. It's more expressionistic and um, unapologetically so. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming today and um, for joining us. Thank you, Ian. And um, I hope that you'll look out for the book in the bookshop um, towards the end of the year. Thank you. Thank you.